0: Welcome to another episode of the Strictly Business Podcast, where we talk with some of the brightest minds working in media today. I'm Andrew Wallenstein with Variety. While the struggles of companies like Vice and BuzzFeed seem to be well-documented these days, not everyone in the digital content publishing world is suffering. Barstool Sports, for one, is attracting a growing audience, and some controversy, with a business that spans everything from podcast to, get this, Pink Lemonade Vodka, here to discuss all things Barstool is its CEO, Erica Nardini. Erica, uh, thanks for coming in.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I'm hoping you're going to tell me the secret formula. It's not. It's a <laughs> little recipe. more complicated yeah, than just yeah. mixing lemonade and vodka. It is
1: slightly more complicated,
0: and I'm but sure just as fun. The rest of your business is very complicated as well. We'll, we'll get to the beverages in time, but uh, what I want to do first is I, I know – There aren't many audiences for media brands out there that are as devoted as the so-called stoolies, Mm -hmm. as they're known. But I want to explain Barstool first to the uninitiated. I know there's a lot of brands out in the sports world, from ESPN to Bleacher Report. So how would you say Barstool's voice differentiates from those typical players in the space?
1: Yeah, I think Barstool Sports is infinitely an internet company. We were born of the internet Dave Portnoy founded Barstool in 2004. He developed a very distinct point of view and voice, which really resonated with what he would have called at the time the common man. So what really sets Barstool apart tonally is that we are on the same level as our fans. We're not purporting to be journalists. We're not purporting to be authorities. What we really want to do is to make people laugh. It's a company that does not have an agenda beyond that. We do satire, we have humor, we cover entertainment, we certainly cover sports. But what makes Barstool very different is really the internet of it all, that we are focused and born out of the internet.
0: There are plenty of digital native content companies that are suffering right now, mm-hmm. and being digital native didn't really help them. So yeah. what, what did you guys figure out that others didn't? I think the, what, the challenge
1: with Internet brands right now is that they forgot about the consumer. They, the point of view and voice became commoditized. And when you have a commoditized point of view or the content is unoriginal – And you don't have a deep relationship with your audience and those two things go together. It is hard to create a brand that can break through and resonate. And, you know, I've seen it. I've worked in the Internet for 20 years. So if you look at, you know, why does someone go to Yahoo versus they go to AOL versus you go to Huffington Post versus you go to Vox? When you're publishing, you know, a slightly different version of the same news story, you become completely undifferentiated. It's commoditized. It's commoditized, right? So, I think there were two. There are two main challenges in the media business, whether it's the internet business or traditional bi- business. One is the attrition in the digital space of advertising. Right, the advent of the social platforms, they sucked a lot of the air out of the room in terms of traffic and engagement and time spent they took a lot of the value you know if you were to ask someone at a major magazine publisher you know things that used to be valued at for a dollar are now valued at cents and then the third piece of it is that their businesses didn't diversify because the brands didn't grow if you can't find someone who wants to wear your t-shirt your brand is going to struggle to have a different business model than an ad driven business model. And that's really been very key to our success, which is we have a very diverse business because we have brands that people want to identify with, that they do identify with, they want to badge themselves with and are relatable and ongoing and differentiated and not commoditized.
0: But for all that relatability, as I was saying earlier earlier, you guys have had some controversy. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of criticism about everything from uh, sexism or harassment that has either been part of the content or the conduct of those following along on, on social media. Uh, you know, is this a problem for your company or is it really actually just kind of part of the DNA of the brand at this point?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a good question of whether it's a feature or a bug. Exactly. Right? Um Controversy isn't the intention of barstool sports. I think when you think about the controversy or people look to examples of the controversy, those are mostly things that have happened in the past and are said by people who aren't active listeners or participants or readers or viewers of barstool sports. Um, so I, I would say the perception of controversy can be grossly exaggerated that said, I don't think it hurt, the controversy doesn't hurt us because it helps identify our base, and it also, you know, there's often a lot of hypocrisy in that controversy and in the criticism of Barstool. So
0: what is, what is that? You know, great example.
1: We are a sexist, misogynistic company. We're the only company in media with nearly an entire female C-suite. So okay. there's one. To we have more women on the radio, more women starring in content than you would find any sports media company, proportionally to our size. So it's things like that where actually this is a very fascinating company. We are unafraid. We are unfiltered, which often puts us in the headlines for a variety of reasons. But it's that level of authenticity, again, to, you know, to use that word, that, that makes us break through and resonate. We're not playing it safe. We're not covering hockey or football or entertainment or relationships uh, or the headlines coming out of the internet the way everybody else is, and we don't want to.
0: But isn't that a double-edged sword? Because on the one hand, frankly, controversy is earned media. You get publicity Mm -hmm. from that, and I think it also plays well with your brand. On the other hand... Are you guys a controversy or two away from an advertiser backlash that 's always been the the issue with all sorts of media operations I, I think of like from Perez Hilton to w w e the The bad boy image works to an extent and then it doesn 't
1: yeah, I mean I think it 's working like we're mm-hmm. not we 're not a controversy away from an advertiser backlash. Our brand advertiser business has grown i think fifteen hundred percent in the last two years, so the world is changing. How people perceive what per, what people perceive as valuable, what they perceive as real, what they perceive as resonating, has changed dramatically. We live in a world where attention is the most scarce and finite resource. You know, resource or or it's just it's precious. And, your, and our ability to capture headlines and interest and to maintain engagement from our audience mm-hmm. is what ultimately is going to make us an incredibly powerful vehicle for brands and an incredibly powerful vehicle for ourselves.
0: And the brands are there, uh, there's no question. And podcasts seem to be a, a big mm-hmm. part of that mm-hmm. right now. Several dozen podcasts yep. in play that are giving you about a third of the company's revenue that's right
1: yeah so we love podcasting you know barstool sports started as a newspaper uh it then evolved into a blog from the blog we moved into podcasting and really live video and when you think about podcasts right podcasting is really a natural extension of blogging it's one person or a few people's point of view it's a conversation it's first person thought it's un. it's not linear it can be long, it can be short, it, it can look and sound like anything. We like that as a medium.
0: I get how... Having the kind of voices you have works well for podcasting. I'm curious about how you approach it as a business. Uh, you on Twitter recently went on a, a large an rant, interesting rant, <laughs> where you kind of acknowledged the the growth opportunity that podcasts represent right now, but also sort of the perils of over programmatic.
1: Yeah, look like I, approach, I've been so. in the internet since 1999.
0: You were at AOL. That's where you I, were. I was at.
1: A, I started my career at Fidelity Investments, buying the internet advertising, and then you know went to Microsoft. I worked at Yahoo. I worked at AOL. I was part of the demand media IPO. Like I have seen, I have, <laughs> I've seen the big people, big players in the business over the last 20 years, and we screwed up a lot of things about digital media. It was a medium. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but where there was whiz bang pop-ups, you know, unreadable content, right? Unreadable content. You felt like you were going to get a virus from going to a website. So, you know, we over monetized, right? We over monetized. We became too smart and cute with programmatic and with SEO and SEM. And, the glory of podcasting is that it's actually a very intimate medium. There is a there is a true – you're in somebody's ears and there is a very intimate relationship. And you know this from having a podcast between what you have to say, the people you interview, the conversations you're having, and your audience. When you put an ad that's pre-recorded, it's dynamically inserted, it's targeted to me as a consumer, when you slap that in the middle of it with zero context, the probability that that ad is going to get skipped is extremely high. Hmm. And that's exactly what happened with banner ads, right? They became wallpaper. Who looks at a
0: banner ad anymore? Um, so how do we, at this stage of the game, prevent podcasts from falling down that
1: I think the biggest thing is that, you know, we've made a statement, we are sticking to host reads. So we are going to integrate brands into our content and into our conversations, right? You started this conversation by mentioning Pink Whitney's, which is, you know, our flavored vodka that we have with New Amsterdam vodka that came out of an ad read and Mm. it came out of an ad read because it was a story by one of our hosts about how he drinks his vodka. And when you make an ad part of a content experience and a brand part of a content experience, you know, it's, like it's almost evolving the very definition of advertising to make it content. That's what will perform. And so, you know, I think the risk of podcasting is a couple of things. One is from a content creator perspective and a content per- create- a content perspective, you're going to see publishers treat this like video whereby people will say, hey, we have a slate of new built-if-sold podcasts that are about to launch. It's not going to work because podcasting is really still at this stage of performance medium. So mm-hmm. anyone can have a brilliant idea for a podcast. There's 700,000 podcasts right now in the world. So there's a huge long tail. There's a huge glut of content in podcasting. No one really cares if you have a bunch of -of built-of-sold concepts, and there's no assurance that it's going to work for an advertiser. So so I see that as something that is going to fail and not work in podcasting. The second piece is that in order to harness a long tail, just like the Internet, the ad tech folks and the kind of performance-driven scale marketing people of the internet will try to create uniformity and they'll try to insert, you know, pre-produced, highly scalable dynamic ads that don't require humans. And I understand that. I've been in those businesses. I've helped build those businesses. I think that's counter to the type of medium that podcasting is right now.
0: But isn't it possible, though, that if you don't play that game, you're not able to scale your business because you're doing all this customized stuff?
1: No, because I don't think it's actually that custom, and you'll maintain premium. Uh-huh. Okay. See, what will happen is as the ad performance decreases, as the ad skip rate increases, it's going to actually put price pr- downward price pr- pressure on the advertising, not upward price pressure, right? When you look, if you asked anyone in the music industry, or really any performance advertiser, what the single most important thing is they'll tell you it's radio play mm-hmm. because the host-listener relationship is so important. And when you have a compelling host endorse a compelling product, the ROI on that will beat any internet product at mm-hmm. any time. And I think the same is true in podcasting.
0: So I get why you're bullish there. Here's what I don't get. Mm-hmm. Um, We go back a few years. You guys had sort of a a notorious flirtation with ESPN. We did. Yeah, we had a
1: one-night stand.
0: One-night stand, literally, (laughs) in terms of a one-episode show. Um, But why aren't – okay, that was two years ago. Yeah. If your brand is as hot as it is now, where's the big video play? Where is the the OTT brand? Where is – producing for other brands uh, that don't necessarily give you a show, but, hey, you create a documentary from them. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's the story there?
1: We have our own OTT platforms.
0: And that is? So
1: Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, YouTube. We are on Snapchat. We have two of the top five shows on Snapchat. We're the number one streaming channel on Sirius XM. We are the fastest growing sports brand on TikTok. So we are building our own real estate on all different types of platforms, audio platforms, social platforms, video platforms. What I believe is it's that organic real estate that we can build ourselves, which is the best place for our content. We have done an incredible documentary on the history of Barstool Sports, really centered around Dave Portnoy, the founder. We put that into our subscription product called Gold. So, you know, what I learned from the ESPN experience and really a linear television experience is, you know, one, it's very appealing to get the validation to be on someone else's network. That was exhilarating for us when we did the rundown on Comedy Central, which was in, at the Super Bowl in 2017. That was an incredible experience. We had trucks and big production, and it was with bright lights, and we learned the television format. But what you saw was that an entire company dedicated all of its time to one 28-minute production mm-hmm. versus spending all of its time building a hundred productions and running those productions on its own channels. And so, you know, we will do documentaries. We have a documentary. We have OTT platforms. We are very deeply invested in video. That's been our single biggest pivot, I would say, in the last, you know, 24 months. But you're not going to see us give those to other people to build audiences on their network. You're going to see them you're going to see us put it on our own platforms, build audiences monetize those directly
0: which is kind of a departure from what a lot of companies are doing out there where yeah
1: it's like everybody becomes a when you can't bring people to your own network Ah, and you need a more lucrative way to make content you sell content to someone else right so look at you know go 90 you know remember the go 90 deals so go 90 doled out you know very 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 lucrative checks to publishers and then those publishers spend all of their time making content for go 90 that, as it turns out, nobody saw. And the question is, does it really matter? Did the check from Go90, is that more important to the business, or is it the eyeballs on the content that was created? And at Barstool Sports, it's the eyes on the content that was created, not mm-hmm. the check. So that's why I'm building a business that's very diverse from a monetization perspective and not, does not have dependency on a single form of revenue. So that I can keep our eyes on what's most important, which is our content and our fans.
0: And, of course, as you mentioned, you are active across a lot of different platforms. Mm -hmm. But what I was interested to read recently was one of these platforms now is Telegram. Yes. Which, to my, you know, a little background, and uh, if I'm getting this wrong, explain it differently, but the content issues you were running into on platforms like Instagram Mm -hmm. where perhaps there was some sort of violence in particular footage, um, now if you're able to go on telegram where there's no kind of regulation of the content but is there monetization there like what what is what is yeah i believe
1: that we want to be in every place where our audience is and if you look at the broadest sense we have people from 12 years of age who are following us on instagram they're watching our pizza reviews religiously they follow us on Twitter or on TikTok, up to, you know, 60-year-old guys reading the blog who are from Boston and lived, you know, lived in Boston when Dave created the paper. We're really platform agnostic. We ultimately want to connect with our fans in a medium that lets us express ourselves in a way that we can be as funny as possible or we can bring our satire to life and our humor and our point of view to bear.
0: But can you monetize there?
1: But I'm not worried about the monetization. So I'll give you an example on Instagram, since you brought that up. Instagram is, and Facebook are continually defining and tweaking their quote-unquote community guidelines, which is their prerogative, and I have total and utmost respect for that. It's been long said that it's very difficult to understand what those guidelines are, how and when they change, because they change often, and to mitigate and manage that as a publisher. So what what's Facebook prioritizing in its feed? That's mm-hmm. been a topic for 10 years, right? Sure. What's Instagram value in its feed? What's happening is Facebook and Instagram are, are becoming closer together. Two is that they are also continually evolving and, I think, tightening those community guidelines. We had a video of a girl riding a bike, and the bike hit a stairs and the girl girl tumbled off the bike, and Instagram ultimately didn't like that video because the girl could have gotten hurt. She didn't get hurt. She was fine. She lived. She wasn't substantially harmed, but they don't like that there's a risk that she could have gotten hurt. A video like that will get millions and millions and millions of views because that video is, you know, it's like America's home videos, right? Sure. It's the, the allure of God. what happened in this video is what makes it ultimately compelling. We want to respect what's happening on Instagram, so we won't put that video on Instagram. But ultimately, if you look at our 18 to 24-year-old audience, they love videos like that. So those are the type of videos that we will put on Telegram Mm -hmm. because our audience is there. They're looking for content that's entertaining, and we want to deliver that to them.
0: Got it. Um, What was also interesting is you guys have been experimenting recently with NASCAR. Uh, a presence there that yeah. I, perhaps you weren't covering racing all along. Yeah, long, no, we but, didn't know anything about racing. Right. And now all of a sudden, Huge. I mean, let's be clear, it's a sponsored deal. They're paying. No,
1: well, they are and they aren't. So okay. we, uh, what started as a sponsorship from NASCAR and Dave Portnoy, the founder of Barstool Sports, Dave Portnoy went down to Daytona, had never been to a NASCAR race, didn't follow NASCAR race didn't follow nascar probably had some of the misperceptions of nascar fans that are very common for people who don't watch nascar we had i think 10 personalities down there we did a live show we set up in the fan zone and had an awesome experience the nascar people could not have been more open more welcoming We got so much access and were able to, you know, not only engage with the drivers, but the racing teams and the track and the, you know, the pace car and everything. Uh, We had an incredible experience. We carried that through several races and the last two races, which were Talladega and Las Vegas, we sponsored a driver. So okay. not out of our sponsorship with NASCAR, but from Barstool Sports. We decided that we wanted to sponsor a racer, Matt Debenedito, car number five, 95. We branded one as Barstool Sports with all of our podcasts, and then it, that was in Las Vegas. And then in Talladega, we created a car around one bite pizza. We sold merch. It was a very deep, integrated partnership with the driving team. NASCAR loves it. The Talladega race was the single largest streamed race in history, mostly because we streamed it live on nearly, we talked about, watched it streaming live and talked about it on every single channel that we have. So it's a good example of sports that are looking to bring new audience and new eyeballs to that sport are coming to Barstool Sports to help them do that because we have such a plug into young audiences and our engagement with those audiences is off the charts The second thing you're seeing happening with Barstool, which is different than you would find with a Turner or a Fox or an ESPN, is that we are a young, nimble company. So when we get behind something we didn't have on a strategy deck that we were going to sponsor a race team, literally came up, you know, came up. We decided in a week, in two weeks, we had the car wrapped. In two and a half weeks, we had the merch designed. And three weeks later, we were on the track. So we tend to get behind the things that we find passion around, whether it's football, whether it's hockey, whether it's golf, whether it's entertainment, or whether it's NASCAR. Uh, And we get behind those things in a big way, in a way that's creative, and ultimately in a way that's accretive to the experience we're trying to create for our fans. So in this case, being able to see – you know, a barstool car on Fox racing in a NASCAR race or on NBC in in the case of Talladega it was incredible. So we're very 360 to use a marketing word around that, but ultimately, it's just very organic. Whereby when we get behind things and find them interesting and compelling, our fans tend to follow and we tend to go all in.
0: Is that a sign of things to come in terms of your relationships with various leagues that you cover? Definitely.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you look at, we have an incredible partnership with the USGA. So we've done, you know, we've had a similar experience in golf around US Open. Uh, We, I think two years ago, Dave and a host our our golf podcast, which is called Foreplay. They went and they had a Mulligan challenge, which was Dave's hypothesis was that he could win the win the U.S. Open if he had unlimited Mulligans. Okay, it was very funny. We captured a tremendous amount of content. It sucked all the air out of Media Day because Mm -hmm. what everyone was watching was Barstool Sports, and if we could beat them, you know. The Mulligan Challenge would work or not. So um, the USGA has been incredibly open to us. Same spirit of partnership, right? Want young audiences, want new audiences. They want to, quote, unquote, grow the game. Anyone looking to grow the game tends to be open
0: to Barstool Sports to help them do that. If there's a recurrent theme, though, in this conversation, it is that Dave Portnoy is quite a character. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's an understatement. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious. You're managing this incredible business is it also your job though to manage him? Is does he is he someone who needs to be like reined in, watched, I'm just no, curious like about the Dave dynamic. I think I have is.
1: an awesome partnership. So we've met in twenty sixteen. Uh, we hit it off immediately. single best partner I've ever had professionally. I think he's brilliant. I think his understanding of content and chemistry is just electric. Um,
0: But does he know where the line is or are you the line?
1: No, I'm not the line. He understands the line. And we're Mm -hmm. very fortunate. We've grown from 12 people to now 200 people. We had maybe 10 personalities when I started. We now have almost 70. Right. And we have a great system for them knowing the line. So we want to find people who – You know, have a point of view, are funny, are captivating, are hardworking, who understand the internet. And we have a a very strong creative culture whereby, almost through osmosis, the way that Dave and Dan Katz and Kevin Clancy and Keith Markovich, like the early Barstool guys, are now replicating how they thought about content, what their work ethic was around creating content, and also where the line is around the, around that content. Those are all things that we manage within, you know, in a normal company, we call it a writer's room. In Barstool, we just call it Barstool.
0: Okay. Well, here's the two-part question okay. about the future of the brand. Yeah. Number one, I'm wondering, you know, again, I was talking earlier about WWE and mm-hmm. Perez Hilton. It seems for some brands there's like the bad boy period and then eventually they clean up their act because mm-hmm. that's what it takes to scale to the next mm-hmm. level. Is is that what you guys are about? And, and part two of this is... It's called Barstool Sports, but you're right. You know, you're talking about pizza and yeah. pink lemonade. Yeah, talking vodka. about everything but
1: sports. Yeah.
0: Is, is there a future where sports actually isn't so central to what Barstool is?
1: Uh, so I'll answer the second part first, okay. which is that, you know, Dave couldn't get the URL barstool.com <laughs> <laughs> and called it Barstool Sports. And. I think we're so much bigger than sports. We certainly are sports, and we have guys and girls who love sports. Uh, we also have people who know nothing about sports and care about, you know, entertainment, military, news, you name it, lifestyle, food. Um, so I would say we're far bigger. You know, a lot of people drop the sports in our name, but I think really what the most important thing is when you see. Or touch any of our brands, which gets to the first part of your question, you know it when you feel it. it. feels like Barstool. It feels uniquely Barstool. The second piece of what makes us very different from a Perez Hilton or WWE or The Ringer or any other, you know, any of these brands is that we have worked incredibly hard over the last three years to grow almost 60 brands in our portfolio. So when you say Barstool Sports, Barstool Sports is a brand in and of itself. It's also Viacom, Mm. right? We're sitting over a portfolio. It's Disney, right? We're an IP company whereby we are building hockey brands, golf brands, lifestyle brands, entertainment brands, vodka brands, merch brands. We have a tremendous amount of IP in this company we grow each of those pieces of ip we do it on different platforms we do it in different mediums we do it in different ways with different personalities there's a tremendous amount of crossover in the network in the network um but barstool is bigger than just one monolithic thing we have the barstool brand we have every brand that we've created in the last three years and then we have incredible personalities who are in and of themselves celebrities and brands. And that's what makes this company so different is that it's incredibly layered. It's incredibly nuanced. And from a content and brand perspective, it's quite diverse. It's not one thing. It's not one personality. It's not one point of view. We have guys and women who disagree constantly You know, we've got the Yankee fans versus the Red Sox fans. We've got one point of view versus another point of view. It's a reality show. You know, it's as though you had Disney or Marvel with a reality show built over it and built on the Internet.
0: Hmm. Well, when you make the Disney comparison, the Viacom comparison, I wonder, are the ambitions to be that big and – is it possible that to get that big you need to be acquired by the disneys or viacoms of the world is that the end game
1: i don't know what you know dave and i always laugh about this which is people say you know what's your five-year plan what's the seven-year plan and we always say we don't know Um, and that's not to say we're not strategic nor to say that we're not thoughtful about where we want to go or what we want to do but what i think we are at our core is really passionate and opportunistic so you know yes would we like guns money and steel from a big media company to be in and around our business definitely the things we could do to drive linear the things we can do to grow personalities the things we can do to create brands i think is unparalleled Um, that said you know we're a profitable company now. We're growing incredibly quickly. We are at the top of our game in the fields that we are in. I also see a path where we grow independently pretty successfully. So, you know, I think it's a long way of saying we don't know what the future holds. We're incredibly open to what that future
0: looks like. Well, that's the last question. Where else are you guys going to go that we need to pay attention to going into 2020?
1: You need to pay attention to sports betting. So I think that we will be a force in sports betting in the type of content we create, in the way we create it, in the level of passion and originality in, in, in what we do. So sports betting is a place you should definitely look out for us. Two, I think you'll see us in more consumer products. In the same way, we partnered with New Amsterdam Vodka to launch Pink Whitney's, which is you know, now the third biggest flavored vodka in the world in under two months. You'll see us do more of that, um, and then I think you'll see us do more in
0: podcasting. And there's more to do. Than there's more three to do. Dozen podcasts. Yeah, more to do. I mean, is, is there, you know, isn't there though a saturation point with the podcast? There's business? a
1: saturation point if your podcasters and your podcasts all appeal to the same audience, right? When you look at Barstool Sports, Caller Daddy, which is the number one female podcast in the world. Has a completely rabid, completely loyal, massive fan base. The women and men who listen to Call Her Daddy probably aren't listening to Zero Blog 30, which is our military podcast. They may or may not be listening to Pardon My Take or Spit and Chicklets or KFC Radio. So as we grow new brands, we're very mindful to growing brands that can bring new audience and can extend into new spaces and who we feel that we can, you know, pour gasoline
0: on to make bigger. Got it. Well, it sounds like you've got a big 2020 agenda. Uh, We'll be watching and seeing how it all plays out. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for for the time.
1: I appreciate it.
0: Anytime. This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing.